Brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I, uh, it is my great privilege to uh, be here again and to present God's word to you all. Um, and uh, what a great day it is to be here. It is Easter Sunday morning, and we are here to celebrate the life we have in Christ. Um, if I recall my messages over the years, it's uh, probably typically focused on the early part of uh, Resurrection Day when Jesus appeared to the women and to his disciples. Um, I don't recall too many sermons that I uh, preached from this passage, but I thought it would be so appropriate, isn't it? Because when we think about the, the life of Christ, uh, we naturally focus on the atoning work that uh, Jesus performed on our behalf. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah who comes to this world to not just be a good person, to not just give wisdom, not just show an example of how we ought to live, but he made atonement, he made sacrifice, he died, literally, for your sins and mine. And so it is natural for us to think about Good Friday, of course, and, and Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus, where we say, now Jesus uh, finished his work, and it is sealed, and it is uh, affirmed and confirmed by the Father, that his son did a perfect work of sacrifice. And so now we know that our sins are forgiven. And that is something that you ought to know, I believe. I do believe that assurance of salvation is uh, essential to a biblical, saving, trusting faith in Christ. Um, but there is much more. Uh, the axiradius, you know, the, the circumference of the Easter story is much wider than um, that Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day, as central as that is. But it is my intent to show from this passage that the purpose of the resurrection is not only that we now know and believe that Christ is risen and he is there, and until he comes again, he is there to rule and guide his church based on the sacrifice that he made for his forgiven people, but that there is a task involved uh, that flows from the resurrection, from the suffering and death that he performed on our behalf, and that is that the church is sent. The church is sent by Christ into the world, and you are the church. You are the followers of Jesus, and you may or may not be fully aware of this, that your identity, yeah, you can laugh about that, Mary, uh, but uh, your identity as Christians is that you are a sent people. And God sends us into the world when we're done here this morning. Because that's where we need to be. I've used often this uh, metaphor of a salt shaker. And it's wonderful to be huddled together here like the disciples were that night. And uh, they were especially pleased when they saw the, G the Savior in their midst. And fear was gone and joy replaced that. But there comes a time when we have to say, brothers and sisters, we've been here long enough. We've enjoyed each other's company and fellowship, but now it's time to do our work. And that means that we go out into the world and that we are the salt of the earth and that we let the light shine, the light of Christ, resurrection, light and life shining into the world so that others who live in darkness may see and may see not just us, but more importantly, see Christ in us. And so when we read these uh, few verses, and I'm going to read them again so that we have our minds focused on them uh, for these next few minutes. Uh, verses uh, 21, I'll start there. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And you, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So with that said, we're going to look at um, this passage and look at the following three uh, observations under the theme that the risen Christ authorizes uh, his church to proclaim divine forgiveness. The risen Christ authorizes his church to proclaim divine forgiveness. Jesus sends his disciple to carry the message forward. Jesus breathes or commissions his disciples for this task. And then finally, in verse 23, based on verse 23, Jesus empowers his disciples to declare divine forgiveness. The first point, Jesus sends his disciples to carry on his uh, message because that is what he calls them to do. Today we celebrate as Christians the life of Christ, the resurrection from the grave. We recall again how he suffered for our sins to make atonement for our unrighteousness, for our unworthiness, and to transform us into um, beings, human beings who obtain newness of life. We celebrate that. We celebrate his resurrection. We thank him for what he did for us. In light of the mess that we made, and we all know about that, we have made a mess of things. And you don't have to start confessing those sins to me. But if we look at our lives and we reflect on our lives, we all know why Jesus had to come for me and for you. And so he did. Our sinful rebellion in Adam has led to murder, war, famine, injustice, immorality, and much more. And in today's world, we see more and more the forsaking of the Creator's love finding satisfaction in other things and people. We celebrate Easter today. Christ is risen, and so have we. Not physically, that awaits us still, but spiritually we are introduced into a citizenship that is above. We are the beneficiaries of the work that Christ performed on our behalf. Celebrate today. Have a party. Celebrate the life that we have thanks to Christ and his cross. Jesus sends his people into the world. As the Father sent me, so I send you. According to our Christian tradition and our beliefs, the church is many things, and one of the, one of the marks of the church is that it is apostolic. Um, and uh, to be apostolic means that we are a sent church because that's what the word means. And so as I've said a moment ago, it's important for us to know that we are a sent people so that we have ourselves orientated not towards ourselves, but towards the world, towards the needy, towards those who are in Adam, lost forever, living under God's final condemnation unless it is lifted from them in Christ through faith in him. The Lord speaks these words. The Lord could have used other words, couldn't he? At the end of that day when he revealed himself 
Um, we see this, this account by John, and it is so terse, so brief, so, so pithy. Um, but these are the words that our Savior spoke. These were the words of importance. As the Father sent me, I send you. Why did the Father send him? Why did the Father send his Son? Well, the Father sent his Son because he sent his Son on a mission. And that mission was, of course, to bring peace. And not just peace between nations or peace between a husband and a wife or peace between siblings and so forth, but it is the peace of messianic peace. It was very ordinary for Jews in those days and today, I'm sure, to greet each other with the word peace, shalom, something like that. Uh, but when these words come from the lips of our Savior, they, of course, are pregnant with meaning, messianic meaning. When Jesus speaks words of peace unto his disciples, it means that the messianic reality has come and it is there. He pronounces peace upon them because in Christ, God's peace is present, full-orbed, and it is ready to be experienced by those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. And so now it is the time for the church to be launched. And so the Lord is coming to the core group of his followers, his disciples, as they are huddled together in that room and they're afraid of the fellow Jews in sovereign majesty and power and presence, the Savior, the author of life, the creator of the world, stands in the presence of all those he has created to make them part of the new creation. Being sent by the Father meant that Jesus accepted God's will for him to suffer and die. He became the peace offering from heaven to earth. In Christ, God seals by his blood his favor upon the world, upon his own. There will come one who will rescue you from the house of bondage. You and I are all born into bondage. In Adam, we're all in bondage. Whether you like it or not to accept that, whether you feel it or not, we're all born into this world and our spiritual condition is one of death. And there's only one who can lift us up from that predicament and it is Christ and Christ alone. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate it because we who have confessed Christ, there may be some of us who have not. And I encourage you very strongly to trust Christ today. Not wait. Not say, I'll think about it. And next week I might be back. Or maybe do something else to figure these things out. But today we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no hope, there is no life, there is no release from condemnation in Adam unless we put our faith in Christ alone. And so he is here in the gospel, in the word, by the spirits present among us to offer the gospel to all and to say, come and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And when we do, when we trust in Christ, when we hear the call, then we have called really upon ourselves the blood of Christ that was shed and we have it 
as it were, painted upon the doorposts of our hearts so that the, the angel of death and judgment passes over us. Today, we can know that we are God's saved, liberated people. And as these disciples are there in the presence of Christ, and they know that they have loved the Savior, they also know that they have failed the Savior to give Him the complete loyalty and devotion that, they, uh, that He deserved. They, um, they walked away from Him, right, when the crucifixion was about to happen, and the Lord was all alone and by Himself, suffering and enduring the burden of the hot wrath of God on him that should have been ours. And when he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? When Jesus next says these things, well, it means that Jesus is commissioning his disciples the breathing that Jesus is doing is a is sort of a symbolism, you might say. Uh, he is symbolically breathing life into them. And not just the old life that God, cre- that God created um, and that God blew into the nostrils of Adam in Genesis 2 verse 7. Remember that? When God created Adam and it says in that second chapter that God blew... And in the Hebrew, there's a sense that, that, that when God breathed this life into the nostrils, that it has a sense of gentleness to it. God does not have to breathe, you know, with, with like tornadic uh, power uh, to get this guy to become a living creature. All God has to do is, God creates life. That's how powerful God is. And so when God did that at the first What is God in Christ doing now? He is approaching his followers and that is his church, his bride, to prepare them, to commission them, to authorize and empower them to go into the world to take his message into the world, which is that powerful message that says that there is forgiveness, that there is reconciliation for any and all persons who would come to him. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If the church is going to be sent into the world, it cannot be sent into the world properly unless it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that is why Jesus did that. He, has to, he gives them the life of the Spirit because with that life, they're going to call to life by His words, by His gospel, Dead sinners. And according to God's purpose and plan and election, there will be those and the fullness thereof who will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved from all nations, all peoples, all languages and tribes. They will stand in front of the presence of God at the throne of God and they will be there and they will praise the Lord and they will sing their praises to the Lord for what he has done for them. But God uses us. We are the agents. We are the ambassadors, the New Testament tells us, of that ministry of reconciliation. And so Jesus breathes. That's not just something silly, you might think. 
is not something indifferent or unimportant, is highly important. When Jesus breathes life, authority, power of himself, the creator of life, to bring about recreation in dead sinners upon those whom the disciples themselves are going to encounter in their uh, missionary journeys as um, that is yet before them. And so we have seen that the Lord is the one who sends his church. We also see that the Lord is the one who commissions his church by saying to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That was not something that he suggested he would do for them. It's not something that we say, well, let's have a talk about that theologically. Could they have resisted that? This is the Lord speaking. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ, in his sovereignty and authority, is speaking to them, receive. And so they receive. And they receive the empowerment from on high. That is the power that the church still has today. Some of us might wonder, then why is it that the church is so weak, seemingly? I was just visiting the Netherlands, where I'm from. And, uh, you know, things are not real good there. Whether it's the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church. um, But uh, there is a faithful, vibrant, uh, evangelical-slash-reformed community of believers, certainly. And I don't want to minimize that. I, I praise the Lord for that. But again, from what I heard that Sunday I was there, I'm not encouraged because it was not a clear-sounding message of the gospel. It was trying to be creative and liturgical and what have you. The message is simple. Jesus came to this world to die for sinners. And he did that. He accomplished that. It was confirmed by the resurrection. And now the church has a task to be sent. Spiritual apathy is a malignancy. In the church in Europe, and no less in North America today, spiritual apathy, ho-hum religion. And that can easily be in our Reformed churches as well. Just being satisfied with what we have, what we do, and we just assume and perhaps presume upon God's grace that when it's all over, we're going to be with the Lord in heaven, and we wouldn't even think about the possibility that God would say to you, who are you? I don't know you. Because the Christian religion is a personal religion. The Christian religion is a personal encounter. It is an encounter with the living Christ, who is the Lord of glory. And he is also the judge of all the nations. And he says to his people, finally, when he empowers them to bring the message of reconciliation, that when you declare forgiveness, they shall be forgiven. But if you retain forgiveness... Forgiveness will be retained from them that do not believe. There is a day coming when the Lord has his judgment. The judgment on all the nations. And also the judgment on the works of the church. It shall be judged. 
it shall be carefully measured by the justice of God, whether it was love, love for Christ, love for the gospel, love for the cross, love for the blood of the Lamb that was shed at such cost. And so we have that glorious ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. We tell others, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Why wait? Don't wait any longer. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the moment of grace. Now is the time to celebrate Easter. Now is the moment to celebrate the forgiveness of our sins. And that is my final point. Jesus empowers the church to declare his forgiveness. That is the center of the gospel's ministry to the world. There are other things involved, of course. There are other aspects of theology that we can, you know, discuss and debate and and even preach topically, let's say, perhaps. Um, But the center of gospel ministry is the center of the church's ministry and calling into this world, being sent. Jesus says to his disciples in these few words, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That is, in a nutshell, the ministry of the church in this world. The ministry of forgiveness. As Paul writes, the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we are about here at Covenant Church. And it should be true for any church in this world. We are about the fact that Christ has sent us to be the ambassadors of the words of salvation so that we reach the world with his cross, with his words of life, that they may come to life and be resurrected from the judgment that is to come. That is our glorious reason for existence. That is why we meet Sunday by Sunday, so that the Lord would equip us to be sent into the world once again. And what glorious, greater glorious purpose can we have as a church, can we have as individual Christians, than to be ambassadors of that good news, that in Christ Jesus, I tell you, If you believe that the Savior died for your sins, if you believe and trust that his death on the cross is the complete and sufficient payment for all your sins, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, but if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel, for the good news that in the cross of Jesus there is forgiveness. Father, we are your forgiven people, and we say it humbly, but also thankfully, that we are who we are in Christ Jesus, and only because of him. And so, Father, it is our desire to be sent out individually and as a church into the community, into the world in which we live. As we encounter men and women this week on our pathway, will you give us those select moments of opportunity in which hearts that you prepare for the truths of your word will receive those seeds of faith from our lips 
and that there will be a great harvest someday in heaven. And may we hear of that, Lord, that would give us great joy. Heavenly Father, we entrust our work and our ministry here this morning to you, to your service, to your glory. And we ask that you will multiply the work that we've done uh, for your greater glory and praise. Heavenly Father, we ask these things with thanksgiving in the name of the risen Savior. Amen.